The presenting sponsor for On Education is Classcraft. We're so excited to announce Classcraft's new story mode, which makes it easy for educators to harness the power of stories. But that's not all. Have you ever wanted to see yourself as a character in a story? Now teachers and students can create their custom game avatars and see them come to life on an augmented reality poster. To learn more about Classcraft's story mode and the new AR experience, simply visit classcraft.com. What I want my classroom to feel like is like when you go to Disney World, you know it's fake, but like in the moment, you allow yourself and you're almost able to suspend your disbelief and get hooked on it. Welcome to On Education. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will recap the Serious Play Montreal and Schoology Next conferences. And our guest this week is educator and author of Adrenaline Rush, John Meehan. So we're going to put in the show notes the periscope, the Schoology periscope of the gamification, the musical, because I, I, I finally had a chance to watch it, I guess, that, that night, later that night. And holy crap. It was really cool. Yeah, it was uh, amazing. Really, really just an amazing job by Jared Lopatin. He is a uh, teacher of the deaf in New York City, and he's just an amazing uh, performer and director and singer. (laughs) And he he writes all of the lyrics. He does all of the uh, interactions. So he wrote all of the script and everything else. And then he also makes sure to train me well. Because a lot of the songs I didn't actually know, they were really related to musicals this year. Like there was actually musicals uh, from The Wiz and a Legally Blonde musical. So there was all of these uh, references to all of this stuff that I'm not really familiar with. So he he did a great job in training me in and and uh man it went super well and we even had uh danny patterson and hope elliott uh, uh two schoology ambassadors and friends of ours yeah. uh make special guest appearances and they were like kind of these backup singers that we brought on uh we did a reference to uh the Whoopi goldberg uh sister act um one of the songs inside of sister act the movie and so we had uh hope and and danny and they were they had their nun outfits on and uh it was <laughs> it was a it was crazy i mean a crazy awesome and and really really well received um so yeah that was the cap of schoology next i mean that was no. the 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 last you know the second the last day but you know right. the 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 last performance of that specific day good way to end a day Right. I mean, everyone's a little bit tired. Probably this was like a get you back up for the for the rest of the night. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, it was a fantastic way to end the day. Uh, Room was gigantic and there was a lot of people just participating and just just having a great time. And that's what we want. We wanted it to be something where you could just come away with it, laugh at all the different lyrics that Jared has written, all the different kind of punch lines in our little script. And and people were having a great time singing along and everything else. So, yeah. What was it called? It was called something else. It wasn't called Gamification the Musical this year. It was called, what was it, Level Up? Uh, I think it was just basically Gamification the Musical Part 2. I think it said it said something about leveling up. Uh, and we may end up we're, – we're thinking about how we're going to – if we do it again next year, we're not sure we'll go with Gamification as the theme. 
uh, we'll do some sort of uh, kind of more broad educational kind of thing because we basically covered right. everything uh, yeah. the, with two <laughs> one hour performances on all kinds of different things that have to do with gamification theme and uh, leveling up and everything else that you could ever think of that has to do with mm-hmm. games or gamification, game based learning. It was part of one of these two shows. Um, so and we even did products this year. We talked. We have a Minecraft song. <laughs> the Minecraft song was great. We had a uh, deck toys and gimp kit song. I mean, we were doing products even now. So we're like, okay, <laughs> it might be time for us to branch out beyond these things. But no, it was super fun. Um, and like I said, Jared, you're amazing. <laughs> I got I to gotta give Jared, a, I gave him a shout out on Twitter and I got to shout him out here. Man, can that dude sing? Yeah, like, he's he amazing. Brought, he brought it. Like it, I thought last year was really good, but I, 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 man, the singing, he, like he sang really, really well this year. It was, it was entertaining to watch and I'm sure in person it was, uh, it would have been pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's, <laughs> Yeah, hopefully they came across. I think I watched part of that uh, video, and and hopefully mm. you guys enjoy it. So let us know. Um, how was the rest of the conference? Fantastic. Uh, Schoology Next is always a ridiculously well put together conference in amazing, beautiful sites. So uh, I had never been obviously to this specific part of Florida, and we ended right. up in the Boca Raton Golf. Uh, resort club which i guess is a super exclusive club you you have a gated entrance to be able to come into it um and it's a beautiful place and uh, the food they serve uh part of your ticket is all your food food is amazing um the events are amazing that they put together uh so i mean it's Schoology always goes all out for the schoology next conference and this was again another one of those years where it's uh you know you were like wow that was an experience. It's not just a conference. It's a total experience. I uh, uh, wanted to make sure that I shouted out uh, Educator of the Year. I know some people may not be Schoology-related uh, people, but these these people who get these awards are, are really amazing educators overall. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, Brian Brueggemann, he's a teacher in Wisconsin, a uh, band instructor. Uh, I actually knew him, known him for a long time, and he received education educator of the year this year and then our friend rick bray received ambassador of the year really the ambassador program is is about connecting with other people and helping other people out uh using schoology uh, and just reaching out to them and really lifting up people and and helping them in whatever situations you can and that's what uh rick has done all year long he's a he's an amazing person and of course i wanted to shout out melissa riggs who teaches in colorado and she's just (laughs) She is the biggest supporter of on education. I mean, we have a lot of supporters of on education, but man, she is just amazing. And uh, yeah, she was uh, grabbed all of my the stickers that she could get, and she was spreading the message about uh, on education and why you should be listening to the show. So, Melissa, you're amazing, and uh, of course, all of the other ambassadors uh, were that we, you get to meet up with and then connect with again. Uh, just a, yeah. a, a great time, an amazing time. So many uh, amazing, beautiful people took pictures with us, talked about the podcast, and and just said how much, uh, how, how good of a job we're doing. So thank you, all of you guys, for all your support. I definitely had a lot of FOMO, I guess, <laughs> uh, but I, I was following along as actively as I as I possibly could. Yes, and you were at a different conference though too. So I was at Serious Play um in in montreal at uh, the university of quebec at montreal ucam i guess is what they call it uh right downtown um is pretty cool it was neat I, i've never been 
to it. It's it's a small conference, probably about half the size of Next, so maybe about a hundred and fifty attendees uh or so uh but you know wicked wicked smart people this was definitely like an academia type conference um i guess it's kind of inherent in the name um serious play um but there was definitely even the keynote was pretty academic um it was um the head of the institute of play so this is the same woman that was at the games for change doing that panel um obviously we've talked about institute of play is is shutting down a little bit or is shutting down. Um, and so she gave the keynote at serious play, uh, and, and spent some time talking about Minecraft. And, and I thought, um, one of the things that I found super interesting in her keynote was talking about the, um, our, our natural inclination as teachers to put gates or barriers in front of our kids in terms of their behavior online. Um, and, and we do that even with Minecraft and Minecraft Education Edition, which has built into it a lot of ways for us to control the kids, um, to, to manage them and, and to put safeguards like no PVP and no, um, no breaking things and, and, um, you know, timeouts and all of this other stuff that you can potentially do. And she talked a lot about how, you know, we're actually maybe missing an opportunity to do some really good um, SEL um, work, uh, allowing kids to, you know, remove these barriers so that kids can have an opportunity to discuss um, and share kind of how they're feeling about, you know, when things don't work right and we're, when things, people are behaving poorly in games and, and how we can resolve conflict in games um, but when we remove all of the opportunities for conflict to exist, um, you know, we don't we miss those opportunities. Um, it, it, I said to I was with I was sitting beside Paul Darvasi and, and I said to him, this, this is exactly the opposite of what they teach you to do in school. It's like, you know, remove all of these conflict situations so that you have this like nice, smooth, beautiful running class. But in reality, you know, conflict isn't always a bad thing because it teaches us it gives us the opportunity to help kids learn how to deal with conflict um you know so it was a super interesting it was a really interesting keynote as we've talked about um a little bit lately S- sel was all over the place uh, it is definitely the theme of the next you know year and a half uh you know and and recent uh in recent time um a lot of people are talking about social emotional learning and 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 how to help kids um, talk about, you know, themselves and, and how they interact with people. Um, and, um, it's been really interesting. Uh, what else happened that was really cool? The, um, uh, the, the, the presentation that Sean Young game gave about Classcraft and SEL, uh, was really great as well. And how SEL is kind of embedded into the nature of games, um, and, and gamification. So, uh, very, very, very cool. I in, enjoyed my time in Montreal. Montreal is a beautiful city. You should, you should go to Montreal if you get a chance. Um, it's very old, very, very old. And, you know, and, and there's, there's tons of great history. If you're a history buff and just like, you know, lots of old things, buildings and architecture, it's, it's all over the place in Montreal. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's obviously French speaking, right? Province. 
Well, Quebec is a French-speaking province. Yeah, absolutely. Um, most of Montreal is fully bilingual. Um, in a lot of restaurants, they'll literally say, hello, bonjour. And then depending on how you respond, they will then talk in French or in English. Um, you know, if you say, hi, how you doing? They'll, they'll start talking to you in English. Um, almost everyone is bilingual in Montreal. It's, it's a very easy city for an English-speaking person to, to get around in. If you go almost anywhere else, to be honest, in, in Quebec, you'll, you'll have a much more difficult time if you don't speak French. Like even Quebec City um, is, is very, very French. Um, but Montreal is very, very not like you can you can get around Montreal very easily uh, without knowing any French at all. Hmm. That's super cool. I would definitely want to visit it. I mean, just looking at all the pictures, really beautiful place. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's gorgeous. The there's a lot of construction. <laughs> even even Paul, part of Ozzy, his his in-laws live in, in Montreal. So he was visiting them. But he, he so he's familiar with very familiar with Montreal but he said man uh, that even I was thrown off by the amount of construction everything is either undergoing renovations or repairs the, there were whole like giant roads torn up in Montreal it was pretty wild even old Montreal they're redoing some of the cobblestone roads in old Montreal the the, the five or six hundred year old parts of the city um and they're they're redoing some of the roads there so a lot of those are even torn up a little bit and and being replaced uh so it's it was pretty pretty wild how much uh construction but uh it, it is a it is a beautiful city with lots of lots of personality tons of culture mm. tons of uh tons of tons of personality for sure and the uh the the, the churches are mind-blowing just they're huge and they're everywhere because montreal was a very catholic is a very catholic area catholic city or at least in history it has been uh so you know i i put a video on twitter of the the notre dame uh, basilica mm -hmm. really beautiful and the inside of it's just stunning just absolutely stunning and i'm not a a religious person anymore but man oh man uh it was pretty impressive to be inside there and, and looking around so that was uh that was our time this week we uh we had a, a good week we were both in in different places and and doing uh, a bunch of different things. And, uh, and it seems like we, we both had a, a pretty good time and now we're back home and, you know, back to, you know, whatever it is that we're doing. I, I got tons of work to do. That's for sure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I've been holding off on emails and stuff like that. So my email list is a little bit gigantic, uh, now. Um, when we come back, we actually spent a, a considerable amount of time talking to John Meehan. So we're going to play that whole interview for you now. So just uh, stay with us. On Education is brought to you by Pick My Kid. When my son was in first grade, he was put on the wrong bus. Pick My Kid is a product my son's school could have used. Pick My Kid is an automated dismissal solution that cuts car line times in half, engages parents with a parent app by being able to change dismissal routines right from their phone. Friends, that means no more front office calls. Pick My Kid is affordable for schools and removes dismissal stress for parents, teachers, and staff members. For more information, visit pickmykid.com. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. John Meehan is an English teacher and instructional coach at Bishop O'Connell High School in Arlington, Virginia. He's also a speaker and the author of the just released book, Adrenaline Rush. And he joins us on the podcast today. Welcome to the show, John. Oh, thank you so much, guys, for having me. I'm really pumped to be here. So your book 
just came out a few weeks ago. Congratulations, by the way. Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's it, it's the craziest thing because this has been an idea in my head for like a long time. And then it's sure. been an idea on my desktop or on my Google Drive for, you know, like a, a year. Like, you know, the, the development process has been that long. And so now to finally share it with people, I'm like, oh, yeah, I did that. That's a thing. And um, I'm really excited to see the, the response and the, 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 you know, connect with people. It's been it's been like a whirlwind. So it's been very cool in the past couple of weeks. Yeah. So when I watched that video uh, on Facebook of you seeing your book for the first time, I felt that, man. Like I was like <laughs> I had all the emotions. Uh, it was awesome to watch. Uh, and I am always interested in the process. I like talking to folks about the act of writing a book, um, mainly because I intend to write one myself. And I'm just, everyone's story is just a little different. Maybe sure. sh share some of your thoughts on what the process looked like for you, how it felt to be done, and maybe what you were thinking when you saw your book for the first time there. Yeah, there's a lot of things that are in that question. It's a great question. Um, so in November of 2017, I guess, I had a chance to go to the Virginia ASCD annual conference. I was presenting. Um, and I ran to George Koros, who had written The Innovator's Mindset. He was kind of doing the circuit, um, giving us talk about that. Um, and I had a chance to meet with George and connect, and he was very inspirational uh, to, like, inspiring me to keep keep working and doing a good, you know, like, just keep it up, you know, right? Um, but he said in his talk, he's like, you know, The Innovator's Mindset was, like, a number one selling book on Amazon. And he's like, and I didn't write it in a traditional way. I didn't have note cards. I didn't have a desk. He's like, I did this at Starbucks over the course of two weeks. And I'm like, oh, man, I got to step my game up. He can write a book in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he's like, keep doing what you're doing. I'm like, I've been working 35 years to write a book, man. And I'm like, all right, two weeks, done. Um, so I, I actually kind of committed full tilt, really. I went through myself with the project. Um, and I started, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, who's who's a big social media influencer. And he talks, he's an angel investor on like Uber and Snapchat. Or, you know, he's 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 big in like the social media space about how to get good at writing. Um, he says, you know, you got to get to a spot in, in your writing where like blogging gets in the way of what you really need to do. He says, so you should make your process, your content. And I really fell in love with that idea. Like, okay, I'm just going to be talking about what I do every day. Um, and that would be like in my drive into work, I report, record a podcast every Monday. Um, and it's called Talk to Me in the Car. And I just talk about instructional coaching while I'm in the car, talk about education. And so like using that same model, I was like, well, I do Voxer chats when I'm in the car. I listen to audio tape, books on tape in the car. I'm like, why don't I just start writing a book while driving to work? And that's what I did. Um, so I got in the car and like driving to work and from work and like just, you know, word vomit into the uh, Siri, write this down. Um, and I just started writing, you know, without my hands. And so when I actually read it back, it was like, it was like a vomit draft. It was really, really ugly, but it was like two <laughs> weeks. Because I said, if Coros could do it in two weeks, darn it, I'm going to do this. And I like just gave two weeks of brain dump into, you know, and, and I, I say, as far as process goes, and it's a good question, like, like reading is breathing in and writing is breathing out. Like, this is not something that I just made up in two weeks. I've been doing this gig for you know ten years. Um, instructional yeah. coaches and travel, like you know, I, I I meet up with people, I connect, I just spend a lot of time on Twitter. So it's been like ten years of filling up my sponge with ideas and like traveling for you know work, like something like thirty six thousand miles around the planet. Like the planet's only twenty four thousand miles around, and like in five years I've done it a time and a half just wow. from my little school. So for that, like I have a lot of things in the brain that just the sponge needed to get squeezed, and so I just did a word dump in the car, um, and then. You know, I, I put it all in together, let it sit for a few weeks. Um, I had a friend who said, you should really do something with this. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, I don't know. My wife and I took a, a trip last summer. We were in Mexico um, on the beach and the hotel had really good Wi-Fi. So like you could even get the Wi-Fi signal even on the beach. And so I just took that, which was a Google Doc and started editing it right there on my phone. 
I turned my wife like in the middle of vacation. I said like, Hey, I think I wrote a book. (laughs) 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 That's how it went down. I'm like legit. And it, you know, talk about power of positive thinking, putting out in the universe. Um, I feel like I should share with you guys an image you can like, you know, push out to your listeners. But I then took what was the Google doc file, sent it to myself as a PDF, but I sent it not to my email. I emailed it to my Kindle. So right there on the beach in Cancun, I took a picture of my Kindle with quote my book, which is really just like a, a Word document that had been converted, to get a feel for what it was like to hold in my hands um, like a thing that I had written, and it felt real for a second. I was like, oh, this is the coolest thing. And I thought maybe that's maybe where it ends, but at least I felt that I had, if nothing else, a whole lot of blog posts that could be content for a year's worth of stuff. Um, so then when I reached out to the Burgesses and they were like, hey, we'd love to see more, and I, I had the manuscript. Most people don't write a whole book before they pitch the book um, because if you're going yes. down the wrong road, that's a lot of work um, to have to redo. But I was like, I'm sure I did this the wrong way, but I'm totally new to it. And I sent it to them and uh, they got back in touch with me. They said, let's, let's do it. Let's do the book. And um, that's, I think that's when you saw the video. It's just like, oh man, this is like, this is 18 months worth of process that gets to that. And like, you can't help but just, it's just overwhelming. So um, it was very, very cool, very, very humbling. And I, I'm recording this with you guys on Saturday. I'm, I'm going on vacation um, on Monday and I'm like, Maybe I'll bring my phone and write some stuff. Who knows? <laughs> see what so, see what next book you can bust out on that vacation. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, like that's a good life if you can get it. Like every year, take a writer's retreat, come back with a new book. <laughs> that's amazing. So, as an instructional coach, I, I share that same uh, job duty with as you do. You're responsible, obviously, for professional development. And Mike and I have just seen so much professional development that's just not really well done. Um, but we've seen videos of you when you deliver PD, and it seems like the most fun people have ever had. So can you tell can you tell us like what do you find is the most effective way when working with adults rather than working with, you know, our students? Yeah, that's a great question. Um I think the the data bears out that like most PD um everyone's required to do it and most PD is pretty much awful because mm-hmm. uh, it hasn't evolved, right? You know, like it's this could have been and should have been an email. And um, if it takes us an hour to walk through that which could have been a PowerPoint slide where they're just reading to us, the people who are going to do it are going to do it with or without that presentation. People who are not going to do it, that hour-long presentation won't be enough. And so what I really try to do is model in my PD, because I work as the you know, school's you know, PD director, um, in addition to my stuff in the classroom, like, what would I want this to feel like if this was a classroom thing that I can get a walk-away strategy today so I could make it happen in my classroom with minimal impact? And that's how I kind of do my podcast, too. It's like, I got 10 minutes. I'm going to set you on fire. You're going to catch a whole bunch of ideas here, and then I want you to do it and do it and do it and do it. Hmm. So it feels like, this is really manageable, really bite-sized. And so you're create, creating a system that kind of replaces micro-management with like micro-credentials. Like you felt a small level-up ability and you felt yourself like growing and like gaining confidence in a new pedagogy because you had a lot of time to just practice it as, as an adult learner in a room with other adult learners. And for me then, it's like, that wasn't so bad, was it? Cool. Why don't you swing by the office some, sometime in the midweek and we can get those numbers or we can get those things implemented in the classroom. Um, and the numbers bear out that with instructional coaching, like when they get that job embedded support, that's where real difference happens because it's not, yeah. you know, the one size fits none um, thing. And I think the thing is when we've been for a very long time um, using 19th century uh, practices during the 20th century to teach students who will have to succeed in the 21st century. Yes. And like, so we're sitting and modeling bad pedagogy to ask them to do better pedagogy. And so the best we can do is like, Hey, everybody make a, a website on Moodle. And, you know, spend three weeks, Moodle becomes the new shiny toy that everyone has to play with. And that's not on a knockoff Moodle or anything else. It's just, that's stupid. <laughs> like, yeah. that, that doesn't work. It's not natural. So I really try to, um, to in- inject that excitement. And 
what I say in, in the classroom is like, you know, the enthusiasm is infectious. If, if, if it's your favorite class, you like it the most. If it's your best class, you learn the most. And I kind of think those two things go hand in hand. So I try in my PD sessions to really get that energy really, really high. And not like with fake, like rah, rah, how are you feeling? Like Cleveland, you know, cheers, but like <laughs> real authentic deliverable stuff. That people can say, Hey, this, the rubber hits the road here. This is, this is a thing that I can make happen in my classroom. Awesome. You, you said in the book at one point, and, and I think it actually applies to adults too, that, that kids who like you will learn better from you. I read that line about five times. I just was like, it, it, it was literally, and where it is in the book, it's interesting because it's at the top of the next page. So like, yeah. if you're reading quickly, you don't even, you didn't even maybe even like realize you had just read maybe one of the most profound parts of the whole start of the, the book in my mind anyways. I, and I stopped and I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's everything, right? I mean, and like, adults are the exact same way. Because teaching is relational, right? And like you have to, and I tell people when I work in instructional coaching, like as my work with other team of coaches, like you need to lay that groundwork and they need to trust you so they can trust the process. If they do that and they know you're really in for them, like yeah. they'll jump through hoops of fire for you. But like you got to do the bloom stuff after the Maslow stuff. You got to get that basis of, hey, you're safe here. You're supported here. I'm not going to rat you out. I'm not going to tittle tattle like to the admin and like get you in trouble for it. I want right. to be here with you. And like, so I approach it like, and I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of the, the, the book's angle is I want to treat lesson planning like it's game planning so I can think more like an athletic event. Okay, let's try this. Okay, that didn't work. Let's come up with a new game plan. Mm. So like the game plan keeps being fluid and receptive, which keeps the people at the center of the decision, not like process, process, process. Like our goal is to recognize that we don't teach content. We teach people and like figuring out who people are and what makes them tick and listening to their stories and connecting. And like, I know that's like, you know, maybe pie in the sky and a little fluffy, but I think it's, it's true. If you don't put in the time for your people, they're not going to care anything about math, science, English history, anything like that. And the same holds for adults, maybe even more so because they just don't have time. They've, they've seen it and done it. So they don't want to have their time wasted. Totally. Your story about teaching animal farm is amazing. I smiled the entire time I was reading uh, reading that that part of the book. It brought back a memory of mine I, I wanted to share with you uh, yeah. of me teaching one of my students how to design. I taught graphic design. It was one of the units in my course. And Sick. one of the one of the kids wanted to create a proper propaganda poster uh, in the style of Imperial Japan. Some, something okay. he saw something and he was like i wanted this is what i want to do for this assignment they were doing a video game and the video game had some elements of kind of propaganda in it so he wanted to make a poster for his game that was in that style so i my principal walks by um and and happens to stop and kind of look in and i had a whole bunch of like nazi and soviet propaganda up on my screen it was just, and I'm like, I, I, but but we were we were both history majors, and he ended up actually sticking around to talk about the design elements of the posters. Oh, sure, and what, right, and what made them so unique. So I have two things related to that story and related to your story that I wanna I wanna talk to you about. The first part of your book talks about theme. Um, mm -hmm. And the importance of telling the stories and getting engaged in the theme of what you're learning. Um, and I don't think that that can be understated. What makes that so critical to teaching and learning? What is so important about team? I think your imagination. I mean, that's it. Like it, it boils down to, I, I joke that like, I think my teaching style is like a mix of like Walt Disney meets Jeff Probst from Survivor meets <laughs> Vince McMahon from the WWE. Like 
I want my class to feel like this escapist reality that you step into the magic circle and for a minute, all the stuff that you're dealing with outside of the classroom, you're able to table it and be like, I can't handle that stuff, but I can handle this stuff. I could do this. And I can do this at a very, very high level. Um, and I think it's, as students are dealing with like their own hopes and fears and aspirations, like that's why I hate that phrase, well, the real world, like this is their real world, right? Like this is their life and they're struggling with, you know, bullying and self-harm and FOMO and like social media pressures and like they're not looking at their phone or they are looking at their phone and all that stuff's kind of kicking around their head. What I want my classroom to feel like is like when you go to Disney World, you know it's fake, but like in the moment you allow yourself and you're almost able to suspend your disbelief and get hooked on it. Um, and like I said, like pro wrestling is the same way. Like, yeah, it's fake. But like when you watch the Avengers TV show or the, the movie, like for a minute, you really find yourself, those mirror neurons in your brain are kicking around like, no, that's my favorite guy. I hope he survives or I hope that goes that way. And like you're on the edge of your seat, like rooting for it. So like you feel like when they win, you won. And so how do I make that story come alive in the classroom? It's a, it's a big thing I've been working on from the first day of my, my teaching career because I didn't really know much about teaching. I was a career changer, but I was in media and marketing and I knew how to like make an event, like a big hoopla thing. So I was like, okay, well, if I can get them fired up to like give money to my alma mater, maybe I can get kids fired up to read books. Um, and that was kind of my approach is, you, you know, you, you, you play the hand that you're dealt and the one that you know. And I was like, all right, I got to get them fired up because these kids don't care about Animal Farm. I don't blame them because I didn't care about Animal Farm when I was a kid their age. And like their world is so big and so, so full of stuff Yeah, have to have that relevance. And I think when you can capture someone's imagination, they'll really start to say, okay, there's more to this. And when they raise an eyebrow, like that's an old teaching trick. Anytime a kid moves an eyebrow in the class, up, down, left, right, call on that kid because they're thinking something. And like you mm-hmm. want that in the classroom. So if I can come in and like raise some eyebrows, then you ride that momentum and you can get a lot of goodwill um, from that. So I think that's been a, a, a big critical like uh, lever in my classroom. So the the second takeaway from your story about teaching in a farm is how important buy-in is from your peers and administrators. And that's actually what made me recall my own stories because you you talk about um, that buy-in piece. And now as someone, talking about you, as someone who not only has to craft their own themes for your own class, but also provide guidance and input and, and support and maybe even sometimes back up, no, this person really does know what they're doing. Um, yeah. Can you speak to how critical that relationship is between teachers and administrators. I, I tend to frame it in terms of trust, um, but there's a lot more even than trust that goes into this, right? I, I Absolutely. I think um, it's out of Carosa's book too. He talks about um, the hidden performance uh, tax when you have low trust environments. It makes it like take three times as long to get things done. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I feel like I'm kind of the exact worst guy to talk about this because it's like, oh, it comes so easy. No, it doesn't, man. It's work. You got to hustle. Like you got you to gotta make it move. And there have been times in my career, you know, and I'm not going to name names, but like people don't like it when you're that new shiny toy and you're doing it. Um, and that creates these resentments because it's this perceived either misconception or misperception that like, hey, that's not what teaching should look like. I shouldn't have to go that extra mile. And so it does kind of break down the idea of the faculty lines, right? Like what people are saying about you in your classroom or, you know, that's not real teaching. And all the kids only like him because he plays games. It's like, you know, Quinn Rollins talks about that in his book, uh, Play Like a Pirate. He's like, there's a lot of pressure with being the fun teacher because that, that sort of presumes a lot and it creates, the, I guess, the resentment a little bit. So what you mm-hmm. really need to do is like jump in with both feet. And that Brene Brown stuff is really helpful too about empathy building. Like I want to talk to my admin team and get on the same page with them so they know my heart is always in the right place and I'm going to do some crazy stupid stuff and some of it's not going to work. But like 
I'm doing this because I'm there for the kids in my classroom. And like, especially in, in a book, and that's funny that, cause I almost deleted that story cause it is, you know, it's really outrageous. And I was like, I don't know if this is going to play well, but like, it's the single thing oh, that people so said good. great things about. Um, like I was aware as a white educator in an urban school, like I'm dealing with black and Hispanic students and they don't have a lot of white teachers. And I'm coming in here and doing this outrageous over the top stuff. Like I need to be abundantly clear that this is not like white savior complex who comes in and changes the game in education. Rather it's, I'm only able to do it because I have the support of a black and Hispanic administration who is all in for these kids just as much as I am, maybe more so. And they want to see these kids get that support and that growth necessary. And that's why they're willing to invest in me. Um, and that they're willing to take a chance on that is so like, it's vital to the work because eventually they're going to leave my class and they're going to have another teacher. And I need them to see that the school has their back and they're all there for the same purpose. Um, otherwise it's just one crazy guy with one crazy idea. And like, I always talk about it at my job, like, the teacher is the easiest person, unfortunately, in the education system to replace. Like the bus or the lottery scenario, you get run over or you get, you know, the lottery ticket, you don't come back tomorrow. How are these kids going to trust the education system? How are they going to learn? So, John, there's a chapter in your book that's filled with mini games called Exit Through the Gift Shop. I absolutely love all the creative ideas you share there for educators to get started. And can you share a few of your favorite mini games? Oh, man, I have a bunch. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think that any game... Um, is cool for educators to look at and like sort of dissect. Um, there's a there's a quote by E.B. White who says uh, dissecting humor is like dissecting a frog, right? Like no one enjoys it that much, and you kind of kill the thing in the process. But <laughs> what, what what games do is like they have they have rules, right? They have very clear parameters. They have winners and losers, and that's not unlike school, right? There's points. Uh, there's 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 leaders. There's people who have advantages. So I try to build that stuff into my classroom um, whenever I can. So I really loaded up the book as many as I could. It's just like spray with a fire hose, like mini games and things you can do to teach any course of content. Um, a few that I love, I love a game I, I don't know if it's in that chapter, but it's, it's later in the book. I call it Hashtag Hunt, one of my favorite mm. games. I think it's fantastic. Um, hashtag Hunt, you can do it with envelopes or do it with um, just sheets of paper. And the envelope on the outside has a thing to look for, look for item for any course or content area. I teach literature, so I speak the language of literature. So, like, these are different themes or symbols through a book. So, like, in Huck Finn, we look for examples of deception. We call it Huck Lies. Or examples of uh, faith, because I'm in a Catholic school. So, like, uh, satires of religion that come through the book. Or of nature, or of race, or politics, whatever it is. And so, on the outside of the, um, the envelope, it just says that. And that's the, quote, hashtag that they're looking for. Kids understand the language of hashtags. So, like, dive into the book, find examples of X or Y or Z. Fine, fine, fine. And they get X number of minutes to look for it. Um, and then when time's up, okay, now we can have a Socratic seminar. We just talk about what we found. The team with the most points wins. Um, but to add a little bit of fun to it, um, when you go to like uh, your favorite sub, sub shop, like a sandwich shop, like Jersey Mike's or Subway, um, they give you a card, like a punch card with like eight holes or 10 holes. And what they found, the research is like there's no statistic difference between whether people use the eight hole card or the 10 hole card. They fill them out at about the same rate to get their free sandwiches. But if they mm-hmm. give you a 10 hole card and they punch the first two, um, you feel like you had a beginner's luck bonus and you fill out the cards in like 80% more. So I, wow. I was like, well, that's so cool, right? So like for human uh, motivation, maybe a little bit of manipulation. So it's the same way that casinos work. Like you get those beginner luck bonus and you start pulling that wheel or pulling that lever again and again. Mm-hmm. So with the hashtag hunt, what I'll do is inside the envelope, then they open it up and they either get a bonus couple of points or a negative couple of points to start them out. And the idea is if they get the bonus couple of points, they're like, whoa, I must've stumbled onto a hard center. He helped us out and gave us five free points. And so they trick themselves into doing more work. But on the flip side, if they get the negative points, they're like, oh, man, he took some points away. This must be a really easy center. We have to work harder. And like either way, the, the, the motivation is, is tricked into doing more work. I love, love, love that in the classroom because you really can use it any course, any content area, any grade level. Um, I think that one's great. 
Um, in the book, I also it. talk about um, the egg dash challenge. That one kind of, I mean, mm-hmm. that, that by dumb luck, I, I said, like, when I die, I will have done all this education research and, like, a life in education. And, I, I, like, my legacy will be the guy who played with plastic Easter eggs, which is ridiculous. <laughs> um, but, like, that, that's so dope. It's, like, cut up a worksheet. And worksheets are awful for education. So you just need to, like, move through recap of content. Cut them up with slips and put them in Easter eggs. And put the Easter eggs in front of the classroom where you can do these envelopes or whatever it is. Send people racing. Grab one. Take it back to your desk group and solve it. When you solved it, you think you got it. Um, write it down on a sheet of paper, then lock that egg back up, back you go to grab another piece, grab another piece. How many pieces of the puzzle can you solve in five minutes or something like that? Um, it's out of Doug Limov's book, uh, Teach Like a Champion. He says, the reward for correct answers is always harder questions and that the learning never stops. So that's it. It's like, we got five minutes. How much can you get done? That's just a worksheet. Yeah. That's nothing fancy. But like hmm. after the game quote is over, you reveal hidden point values for question one through 40. And now the kids are fired up that they got that question right or how many they could get right. Or you could theme it and color code it. So like how many of the reds and the blues and the greens they can solve. Um, you can even use a Google uh, Drive uh, or Google form so that they submit it all online and it auto grades it for you. And it's like, well, that's dopey, but that's fun. Um, it makes makes an easy uh, like uh, inroad to learning in the classroom. So I love those, you- those two are two big ones. You've done that in PD as well. That's one of the videos that I've seen. Yeah, man. So that one actually, so wild. Um, it was the stupidest thing. So uh, the life of a PD person, for anybody who's listening, um, the guy who delivers PD at your school, if they have to be like the guy who comes in, it's a really lonely endeavor because you come to somebody's school and like they're all excited to see you, but they're not really excited to see you. They don't know who you are. And I, and mm-hmm. I struggle with anxiety and depression in my own life. So like I'm constantly feeling like alone, even in my own space. Um, so I'm in the car afterwards and I did this PD and I was like, oh, I was, you know, fine. But like, it's a two hour drive. It's rainy and I have to carry my books and my bags and my games. And none of these people really know me and I'm never going to have a, have a conversation with them afterwards. I'm feeling just like kind of left out. But I sent a tweet out like, oh, you did this thing. And of course, there's a spelling error in the video because why not? Um, as you send out a thing that goes viral. <laughs> and I go to bed and I wake up the next morning and it has 10,000 views. I'm like, oh, yeah. this is like a for real thing now. Like it wound up being a for real, for real thing. So I quickly I took that, which was just a training activity. And I was like, I'm going to tap into letting people know how to do it, put the recipe up online for anybody to see. And I think that's actually been a big driver in like getting people to, to follow me on Twitter, which then led to the book and like all that stuff, because that video wound up having like 75,000 hits in a month. And it wound up being in 40 different states. People did egg dash challenges in 10 different countries and like half a dozen Canadian provinces. And I was just floored by like this simple idea of adding fun and excitement just by taking a worksheet and cutting it into pieces. And things like that are super cool because it's very low impact. It doesn't require you to build a whole Jeopardy board for the whole classroom. Right. It just, you know, it's just a, it's a different way of thinking about delivering the same old um, with a fun kind of twist. That's awesome. I uh, I, I seem uh, to be becoming obsessed, obsessed with what I call alternative rubrics. Uh, I'm I'm planning to write a nice long blog post about them soon. I think rubrics I think get a bad rap mainly because they aren't being used creatively. That being said, we've spent some time recently with folks who are using them really, really well. Like uh, we just had AJ Giuliani on last week and we talked a bit about the the grit rubric. Um, Your personal records rubric is amazing. Can you talk? uh, Yeah. Can you talk a bit about that, where the idea came from and how effective you find it for student self-evaluation? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so the personal record rubric, which is available on my website, and you guys can have copies of any of these templates. Please, like I said, I give everything away for free. I don't do it to make money. I get an education to make a difference. And so like to make an impact is so, so happy. Be happy if love you bought that. the book. That'd be great. My publisher would love that if you bought the book. But like, as much as I can give away for free, I'm happy to do it. Um, but the personal record rubric, so like to kind of describe what it looks like if you're not 
looking at a computer because sometimes when people describe abstractions, it can get a little hairy. So I'm just going to pull it up and kind of explain what it looks like, if that makes sense. Um, the personal record rubric looks almost like a spider web, or like a spider web graph or a radar plot graph. Um, and if you've ever played like a, a video game like uh, Madden, where you have like a create a character or create a you know the, you know create a wrestler or build your own you know fighter or whatever it is, you have attribute points which then you sprinkle into the spider web graph. So maybe they're a little bit more fast than they are strong, or maybe they're stronger than they have good hands, or maybe they have intelligence. And so you just use your attribute points and kind of build out the graph with the goal of having your spider web built out to the top of each of these pieces. Um, I run things like Spartan races, and um, afterwards they give you your analytics, how you did in each of these different uh, obstacles, you know, your timing, blah, 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 blah. And I play a lot of Madden um, football. So like that, that create a team, create a wrestler, create a character thing. Um, I'm familiar with the idea of watching a, a web kind of bloom, almost like a flower, start in the middle and kind of work out. So what I'll do is in my classroom, I'll take that, um, that personal record rubric and give back, um, if you can imagine like left panel, right panel. On the left panel is just the traditional rubric. Five out of five, four out of five, three out of five, two out of five for each of eight different look for indicators. But on the right hand side, it looks like a spider web with eight different points. And I ask students to plot on that rubric what the left panel said. So like if it said you got a three out of five in your thesis statement or like a four out of five in your transitions. So they're taking the data I provided to them and then they're interacting with that data into that spider web graph. So then they have a visual representation of what that growth pattern looks like. Then I ask them to answer three questions, and I always ask them to answer the questions one at a time so they actually take the questions seriously and don't just sort of half-heartedly move through all three at once. Question one is, if this is an obstacle course, which of these obstacles did you dominate? Oh, you have great thesis. Okay, blah, 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 blah. And they just write about why and how they dominated the thesis, what they did to get there. Question two is, okay, which obstacle is giving you the most trouble? And it's like, oh, you know what? I have trouble with uh, transition sentences or quote, quote um, integration. I'm having a hard time with that. And then question three is, okay, so what can we do to set some goals to help you with the thing that you're struggling with. So it's not like Bart Simpson writing on the board, like I will not throw spitballs at the teacher. It's like targeted feedback based on what you did or had trouble with. So we can like use that to move it better because ultimately I don't really care, like pick your grade in my classroom. You want an A, you want a B, you want to I don't, I don't care what your, your number grade is. What I want to see is you're metacognating and think about what you can do better next time. Um, and then what we do is we give back that same chart for the next activity of the exact same variety and then they use a different color pen and map for themselves. Look, I used to be a four out of five for thesis. Now I'm a five out of five. Or I'm seeing growth patterns here, but I'm still struggling with. That's a good thing. And that's talking about teaching the mastery. And that's talking about like standards-based grading. And that's really what, I mean, what you want to go with it. Because then you could, if you still have to give traditional grades, maybe the graded essay that you did as a teacher is worth 50% of the grade. But their own reflection on their learning is worth that other 50%. Nice. And then you can empower your kid to help, you know, move themselves up the ladder. Because like, take this process seriously. I'm just one guy. When I get hit by a bus or abducted by aliens or win the lottery, <laughs> forget about what Meehan says. What do you see with you? And like that you are responsible for your own personal records and kind of can go back to it and see that. And that's easy then at the end of the year to be like, this is what I mean when I say this kid is ready for the next level because you can see those visually kind of map for them. So, John, you have a real passion for marathons and Spartan runs. Uh, and you you have a, a chapter in the book where you're connecting those types of uh, endurance type of activities to the classroom. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so I should have picked a different hobby because this one hurts. <laughs> um, yes. I, uh, I I think for my next book, my next book would be like how to lay on a beach for education. Uh, right. my, wife is, yeah. my wife is joking. She says, you know, John, this adrenaline rush has been like your 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 thing. What's your next thing? And I was like, you know, I don't know. She goes, because there's all these brain chemicals. There's serotonin. There's dopamine. I was like, oh, 
Dope Ed Mean. That's the name of her book. Or, you know, <laughs> Air Ed Tonin Rush, Maybe patent pending. Uh, but that's like, you know, how to take a nap and like how to relax. Um, but like the, the mud runs and the obstacle courses, they trick you into paying your own money so you can do somebody else's yard work. You're calling buckets <laughs> of stuff up hills. You're diving into like big pools of water. You're jumping off of roofs into like these big plunges and like, you know, you're having the time of your life. Um, but you're working really hard in like high risk scenarios. And if you present this to somebody like in uh, isolation, that's like a crazy person thing. No one should mm. seek out. Um, I mean, it's very Tyler Durden, like fight club. Like, is your life so, so dry and so boring that you have to feel the need to get electric shocks on the weekend? Um, <laughs> but what I think it does well, uh, and I, again, I worked in media and marketing, so I kind of came through it that way is Spartan race will charge you and uh, Tough Mudder will charge you and like these obstacle course races will charge you a ton of money for like the race itself is a few hundred bucks because um, they have, you know, the, the insurance and they have to keep you safe. Um, they'll charge you for checking your bag at the event, like $15, you know, $20 for the bag check. They'll charge you for parking on the day of, you know, $20 to park on a lot. And like they'll nickel and dime you for all that stuff. And I'm not trying to slag on it. It's a good business model. But what they do is they give away your photos for free. And that's insane because every mm. marathon I ever ran charges you for your photos. That's where they make their money, right? I'm like, yes. well, why are these people giving this stuff away for free? And the answer is because of stuff like the Ice Bucket Challenge, you post these crazy pictures of you doing all this crazy stuff on the internet. And now every friend of yours is like, that's insane. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, so thinking about like, you know, um, the, I think Malcolm Gladwell, Gladwell will call it like the stickiness factor of what you're doing in your classroom. Like, is what you're doing the type of thing that a kid wants to grab on his or her Snapchat, take a picture of that craziness and push it out to their friends? Because mm. it's a little bit of curb appeal, but like a little bit of curb appeal goes a long way to get people to, you got to see what's happening in the third period today. Oh man, you're going to be over the right. moon about it. Like if you are not commanding the space online about your class, they're having back channel conversation about your class one way or another. And like, I want to be front and center and very, very transparent. Like you don't want to miss today's class because this is the crazy stuff we're talking about. And, and thankfully, my admin has been very supportive in the Catholic school. Kids sign waivers and things like that where we know their pictures and their images are going to be used in these videos. But, but then they know they're, quote, performing for an audience. They want to come that much more ready to go. Like, Mr. Meehan, yeah. can, I, can I get you in today's video? And so I'll use my, my classroom like it's an episode of Sports Center. I'll grab the camera and you were talking about it. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll be like, hey, it's Mr. Meehan, and today we're doing blah, blah, blah. What are we doing, Billy? And Billy will explain what Billy's doing while Billy's playing that activity or that game. And like, you can see that enthusiasm. If a picture tells a thousand words, like a video is even better. It's not being mm. very long, but like 30 seconds and 45 seconds, and you watch these people freaking out and having fun and laughing. It's like, okay, well, my English class sucks. I want to go there because that looks like a thing where I can get something <laughs> out of it. Um, and then that's, that's what the Spartan runs do, right? Is like you're laughing with your friends, and you don't realize you're doing an ungodly amount of work. But because that adrenaline is pumping, like you're in. So um, that's a, that's a big thing I try to harness in the, in the book and in the classroom. Amazing. Uh, so John, tell everyone how they can connect with you online. Tell us what's going on in your life. Are you heading out to speak anywhere anytime soon? And where can they get a copy of this awesome new book of yours? Well, yeah, thank you guys again for, for taking some time with me today. Um, it's It's been a whirlwind that I'm really excited. Um, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Meehan Edu. That's Meehan, like my last name, M-E-E-H-A-N. And Edu, like teaching, because I'm fired up to teach. And I would love to talk about it, anybody who's changing the game of education. Um, so I'm all in for that. Um, next week, I really am going on vacation. I'm going to take a breath and breather and maybe do some writing on dopamine or serotonin. <laughs> Just to, like, <laughs> lay on a beat. Um, but I, I'm, my July is kind of jam-packed into August. On Wednesday, I'm up in Shippensburg University um, for the Pennsylvania Association um, Education Communications Technology Keystone Technology Innovator Summit. 
Um, I'm really excited to be up in, in Pennsylvania, about 100 teachers there. Um, I have a Facebook live chat that'll be on the 28th of um, July. That's uh, through ASCD. Um, we're hosting a sold out uh, two day training at O'Connell High School where I work um, for about 40 educators through the, the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. We're fired about that at the end of July. And then I'm down in um, Williamsburg, Virginia in the first week of August um, meeting up for Virginia ASED for a summer conference on teaching and learning. So it's a full schedule. Um, my, my website is adrenalinrush.com. That's adrenaline with a B. Um, you can get access to the book there. You can get all my templates there. Um, I speaking, like I said, I try to give as much away for free as I can. Um, I, I, like if you can't afford whatever it is, or like you have a problem with this stuff, like message me, let me see what I can do to, to hook it up and help you out. I have a, a podcast I push out every Monday. Um, I'm, I'm all in to do anything I can to help out because like I said, we don't, we don't do this to make money. We do it to make, to make an impact. And I think that getting kids excited, getting teachers excited really can be infectious through the, the school's communities and really make some major changes happen. So anything I can do to help them all in. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us, John. Hey, I really appreciate it, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Mike Washburn. My co-host is Glenn Irvin. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Glenn is at Irv Spanish on Twitter. I can be found on Twitter at Mr. Washburn. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we'd be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or on the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Classcraft, for supporting us. Check out classcraft.com slash oneducation to learn more about them. Thanks, as always, for listening. Stay awesome. See you soon.